morning, 11 a.m. Welcome back. I miss you guys. It felt like longer than two weeks to me, and I'm so glad to see all your faces. Are you guys here? Are you awake? Is it weird being back at church? Is it, are you good? Okay. Um, I love the 11. I, I describe the 11 as small but mighty ever since we, we split off into two gatherings a couple months ago. Um, Man, I, I, we like the, the 9 a.m. has like, you know, 150 people, uh, and I love the 9, so I'm not about to throw shade at the 9. Love you, 9. Uh, but the 11 a.m., man, I, it's the, there's just such a sweet group of people here. And I see some new faces. Welcome to Ethos. My name's Joshua, pastor. But, uh, but uh, man, it's just been such a sweet gathering. And as we kick off this year, let's continue being intentional with one another. Uh, I'm looking out and seeing like a lot of faces that I love and cherish. And I'm like, I hope y'all all know each other. Y'all got to make sure you're knowing each other, grabbing lunch, doing something to keep getting to know each other. This is a real sweet space with some really sweet people here. Um, I want to, before we get into the teaching uh, this morning, I, I want to let you know about something that's coming up in February. Uh, there's this thing that the Ethos Church does every year. But if you're newer here, you may not have heard of it, and it'll feel new to you, and that's, that's great. So um, it's called Awaken, and it's for the entire month of February. And uh, really all it is is the church prays and they fast together for the whole month. Um, and if you're new to fasting, if you've never heard of this, you're like, I think fasting is like not eating. Do you not eat the whole month? Would you die? Uh, well, we can actually talk more about fasting. Uh, we're going to actually offer a grow class. It's a one night thing, but uh, we'll also record it and have a podcast about it. But um, uh, basically just to teach you about fasting. So if you're like I was a few years ago and you grew up in a tradition that really never talked about it, um, we want to help you. We want to fill you in. So you're going to hear over the next few weeks us mentioning this thing called Awaken. And all we're talking about is in February, we're all going to be praying and fasting together towards some common things. Um, and, and we'll give some biblical precedent for that and, and hopefully help you guys grow and understand uh, just like I need to grow and understand this whole world that's still somewhat new to me, okay? Um, and then the second thing uh, that you probably noticed, I would assume, we started the gathering a, a lot different um, this morning than we, than we did last year. Um, and I, I believe it's gonna be our new normal uh, for a while. Uh, maybe not forever, maybe, I don't know. Um, but we started with Gentry having us all sit down and just be quiet. And my guess is like 20% of us got to have a really flourishing prayer moment. And the rest of us were like, what am I, what are we, what is, what? Like, I found myself, it's, it, this thing was like kind of my idea. And I was like, oh, I gotta be praying right now, <laughs> you know? But, but the heart of what we were doing in that, that space before we sang a song, I, I really felt like God stirring um, a, a simple phrase in my heart uh, that worship has a heart and not a sound. Worship has a heart, not a sound. And I, I've been like, I feel like internally processing how noisy and, and chaotic our culture is and how fast our brains are running and even how broken our understanding of rest is. We think rest is like sitting on the couch and, and scrolling and watching TV and then we get done and we're like, why am I so tired? You know, like, and, and, and there's just not many places that, that go, hey, why don't, we just, why don't we just slow down and breathe, listen to ourselves think, Maybe say good morning to the Lord. Like, you ever showed up at church and the song's over, I'm up here teaching and you're like, oh yeah, this is church and I'm supposed to be like thinking about the Lord right now, you know? Like, it's just so easy to do that, to be in a space that's all about connecting with God. Meanwhile, you're disconnected the whole time. And so that's the heart of that, that moment, that five minutes. And so moving forward, 
whenever we get done being like, hey, how are you? I'm so-and-so, cool, cool. And then Gentry or whoever says, sit down. and Like, just go ahead and prepare yourself to mentally lock in. And in that moment, five minutes is a long time when you're sitting still. And to go, God, I'm here. God, you're here. And this is all for you. Have my heart. And I just picture, what if for the next six months, we slowly got more and more used to this rhythm? And every time we sang one song of worship, at least 80% of our church had already connected with the presence of God on their own. What would worship be like? What would co-ministry be like? Like one of the things I'm praying for in this church is that people without being prompted feel led by the spirit to walk across the aisle and see someone else and go, hey, I feel like God's telling me to pray for you and to encourage you. I'm just gonna pray over you. But that only happens when a people is in tune with the spirit, in tune with the presence of God in their life. And so anyway, I'm gonna stop the sales pitch, but that first five minutes, it's a, it's a quick moment. You hear people showing up late because that's our culture and we love it at Ethos specifically. Like we literally started at 11.07 on purpose. We're like, yeah, show up at 11.15, who cares? But, but as that's happening, just know that five minutes is not an accident. It's there very intentionally for you personally to acknowledge God is here. He sees you, he loves you, and he might have something for you or have something he wants to do through you in this space. Does that make sense? For some reason, I want to tell a joke right now to liven up the room, but I didn't plan one. Uh, all right. So we're in a new series for the next three weeks. Um, it's going to be in the book of Colossians. So if you've got a Bible or a phone, you can turn to Colossians. And the series title is Christ, Our Life. Christ, Our Life. Kind of tripped and fell into this series, honestly. I was praying for you guys and uh, over break and was just like, honestly, just flipping through scripture like, Lord, What? I knew a series that I want to do that, that's coming down the pike, but I wasn't sure how we start January. And I just kind of stumbled across Colossians and was like, man, this is gripping me. And so I'm excited to, to talk with you guys about it. Christ, our life. That title will make sense in a little bit. Have you guys ever been in a situation where it felt like you were being presented two sides of something and neither side felt good? And you're like, I wish there was a third something. I wish there was a better way. For example, whether your parents are married or divorced, you ever been on the phone call with your dad and he's like, your mother is blah, 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 blah. You're like, oh man, that's, that's a bummer. All right, I gotta go, I gotta go. Oh, what? Oh, dad, emergency, yeah. And then mom calls 10 minutes later, your dad is blah, 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 blah. And you're like, I need to not be the counselor, but I do need a counselor to come and help these two because both of them are wrong, right? There's gotta be a better way. Or you're at the lunch table and you've got this clearly like pretty aggressive liberal with this clearly pretty aggressive conservative and their civil conversation goes seven seconds, and then it gets heated. And then they look to you like, well, what do you think? And you're like, I, oh boy, no, no, nope, we need someone else. <laughs> like, I don't fully agree over here. Like, chill. No, 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 you chill too, though. Like, we need a better way. This, this is not it. Or like conversations with your spouse or your friend that turns into an argument. And what does any argument with a loved one turn into? I just need you to know you're dumb and wrong and I'm right and smart, right? And both sides are doing that. And what do you need in that moment? Someone to show up and go, hey, actually, I got a better way. That's kind of what the book of Colossians is. A group of people that's being presented with some options and they desperately need someone to show up and go, actually, hey, 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 I got a better way. Let me tell you about it, okay? And so um, this book of Colossians is, is a really good book, really fun, written by a guy named Paul. And one fun little detail is that Paul actually never attended the church of Colossae, uh, never met the people of Colossae that, that we know of. 
Actually, his friend or his homie, Epaphras, uh, is just a, a co-laborer in ministry. And he planted the church, but him and Paul are friends. I don't know if Epaphras visited Paul in, in, in a jail and was like, hey, here's what's going on. And, but something compelled Paul to have Epaphras' back and to write a letter to these group of people and to help them navigate through some hard things. Another fun fact is that this is one of four books that Paul wrote from jail. Imagine being in jail and you feeling compelled to minister to a church you'd never met. It's pretty cool stuff. Um, the other three, just so you know, are Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. So four books in the New Testament written while, while in jail. Pretty cool. So a little bit about Colossae. Colossae is this small country town. Not that important. Really not that significant. All right. So um, just, a, just a small town. It borders the town of Galatia. Can anyone think of a book in the New Testament that might be about the people of Galatia? No, Ephesians. No, I'm kidding. It's Galatians. <laughs> what if? Um, so in this town of Galatia, or, nope, Colossae, you have this, this new group of believers. And as you think about this group of people, um, this will be the hardest part. Uh, they do not live in the Bible Belt, and there's no Christian inheritance, right? They're, they're brand new. So they're not, when they're thinking about, how do I be a Christian? They're not thinking about mom and dad because Christianity is literally just now happening. They are Christianity and they are defining Christianity for their culture. It's a really interesting thing to think of. And so they're kind of like some of you guys are, and it's a great place to be. They're like, look, I'm just trying to follow Jesus. Not really sure about the deets after that, right? Like I just, Jesus died and saved me, right? Isn't that what he did? Yep. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, I don't really know anything else. And, and there's not a Bible. So it's really interesting. So if you think about it, you start connecting the dots, you're like, oh, I bet they would be like subject to confusion if a lot of different beliefs are presented to them, right? And so that's what Paul is going to write them about. So there's two kind of main purposes behind Colossians, okay? If you're taking notes, these are, these are worth writing down. First, Paul's writing to these new sweet baby believers to help them avoid being sabotaged by old beliefs that they grew up with, or by unnecessary religiosity that was being introduced to them. And we're going to unpack this. All right. So avoid being sabotaged by old beliefs that need not apply or by religiosity that need not apply. And then secondly, to help them see and live into the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ, his death, his resurrection, his life. Pretty epic stuff. The second point is, is pretty sick, okay? Like the sufficiency, the supremacy of Christ's life offered to them, okay? So we're gonna dig into kind of two different sets of beliefs that were threatening this new group of believers and the authenticity of the gospel, okay? Um, I'm not very smart. So the first set of beliefs, if you get confused, same, but it's called mystical polytheism, Okay, we're going to explain that in my terms, so not very elaborate, but hopefully simple. And then the second set of beliefs was this sort of adapting Jewish law to Christianity. And we're going to explain that further too. But basically, it was like these unnecessary rules that in their minds would help them attain worth. Okay, so there were kind of rules being placed on these new believers that didn't need to exist. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, both sets of beliefs, Paul's like, both fall so short 
of the beauty of who Christ is and what he accomplished. So I got to help you not fall prey to either side of this. Um, Where's the little, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I made this, look, there's skulls um, to imply if you fall, you die. Uh, But it's not that serious, but I just, just trying to get the point across. Uh, flowers, butterflies, look at that narrow road of life that leads to the cross. It's beautiful. Okay. All right. So let's talk about, you guys with me? We're going to be a little heady for just a second, but then it gets epic with a heart punch. All right. Mystical polytheism. All right. Polytheism really just means that in this, this like way of thinking about deity or about God, there's several gods. That's literally, that's, that's all we need to know. There can be 10 gods, 100 gods, 1,000 gods, 5,000 gods, 1 billion gods, just more than one, okay? So what this would mean is that a people of Colossae with a lot of Greco-Roman background, a polytheistic culture, they would actually somewhat easily accept the notion that there's this Jesus, this son of God. Sure, heck yeah, just add them up, throw them in there right? Like picture their living room with like 17 different idols, 17 different inscriptions. They're like, oh, there's an 18th. What's his name? Jesus. Okay. Jesus, right? So in this culture, it wouldn't have been super difficult to think that this Jesus, this physical embodiment of a God existed and saved the world, but the son of a God who is equal amongst many gods, right? So Jesus, this son of God, was not the son of some God that sits supreme, but one of many, of equal. So so his impact is lacking, right? And so Paul does not like this idea. In fact, to put Christ and and to put Yahweh amongst a crowd of gods, all equal in power and authority, was highly offensive and, and went against directly what Christianity really is. And the church of Colossae, this isn't the first time he sees this thought and has to combat this thought in this Greco-Roman culture. This actually happens in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 17. He's in Athens, Greece, amongst a bunch of philosophers and really smart intellectual people. And he's preaching to a group of people that have several idols. He's literally looking at physical idols. And he notices one idol is inscribed to the unknown God. In other words, there was an idol for in case we missed one. There's a lot of gods. We think we got them, but just in case, here is a thing, an altar that we worship at for the one we don't know. Imagine that. God, I'm talking to you, never met you, don't know that you exist, don't know who you are, but please hear my prayer. That's kind of what was going on there. So Paul's gonna go, hey, I wanna tell you about the unknown God, okay? Listen to kind of the supremacy he gives this God. All right, Acts 17, 22 through 24. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. And you can go read the rest of that and see his sermon on the gospel. He goes, the God that is unknown, let me tell you about him. He's the one that made it all. He is the alpha and the omega. He stands alone and above. The little gods you worship, God is over those. Sovereign, not close. And he again addresses this way of thinking in Colossians. So this is Colossians chapter one, 
verses 16 through 23. As you hear me read this, really pay attention to these words and ask yourself, is there any room for Jesus to be made equal with any other gods? Okay? You guys still here? Guys, lean in. This is good stuff. He is the image, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, Jesus, and for him, Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent means surpassing all others. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated, And hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister the way he describes Christ, does it sound like any other God can compete? Does it sound like any other God can be made equal with Christ? This is an obvious question and answer, isn't it? No. In other words, Paul is saying, Christ is him. He's that one. Christ is him. There is no other. Only in Christ was the fullness of God, not hesitant, not kind of waffling, should I? The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. Only in Christ are you made right with the one and only Yahweh. And Christ is the head of this church, Colossae. Christ is the head of this church, Ruby. There is no pastor, no elder, no voting. Christ is the head of the church. He leads it. He's the shepherd. Where he goes, the church is to go or else it is disobedient. Christ is supreme and sufficient and no other God, no other desire, nothing can come close to taking his throne. Which begs us to look at our own heart. What sits at the throne of your heart? If you follow Christ, I would implore you that nothing made by human hands, nothing human at all, no religion, no set of beliefs, no gods, no crystals, no authorities, no passions, no hobbies, no vocation, no drugs, no drink, no spouse, no child, nothing competes with the supremacy of Christ on the throne of your heart. We all in mind, if you profess to be Christian, are okay with this. You're in agreement with me now, but you know if your heart's like mine, it's a fickle thing. Christ, do you sit at the top? And if not, what does? 
Help me dethrone it. My prayer for this church and for you as an individual is that on December 31st of 2023, you may look back and go, man, more than any other year in the past, 2023, nothing came close to Christ in my heart. There was no competition. And when there was, it was short-lived. Nothing came close to matching my worship of King Jesus. Nothing came close to matching my surrender to King Jesus, my affection to King Jesus. Man, looking back, I can't believe, Jesus, you were just so far and away better than any other person or thing I encountered, Christ. That is where Christ belongs in our heart. So in this culture that Colossae is in, in polytheism, Jesus stands above all else. And in our culture that presents us with thousands upon thousands of false gods begging for our attention, our allegiance, our affection, they all pale in comparison to King Jesus. Second set of beliefs. Let's talk about the Jewish law. So Christ came and ministered first to Jews, then to Gentiles. So God's chosen people, the people of Israel, they were promised this Messiah that would come and Christ came. And a lot of Jews get saved. A lot of the disciples are Jewish and they believe in Jesus. Now there was kind of a, an accident that starts to happen. I think it might've been some good hearts, some bad hearts, but many Christian Jews talking to Gentile new believers said, hey, we've got a whole set, a whole set of customs that you have to abide by now. They were confused. They were trying to bring a little too much of Judaism into this new Christianity. They were kind of missing that Christ had fulfilled this law. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, it's all good. There were all these rules that Jewish Christians were trying to add to Gentile believers, and it was making it difficult for Gentile believers to understand what was really going on. They're like, wait a minute, Paul, that, that one guy that's in jail now, he came and he said, salvation by grace through faith, but you're saying I can't eat this, I can't eat that, and I gotta be circumcised? Ah, let me think on that, you know? <laughs> and I'm not making a joke. That's literally what's happening, everything I just said. <laughs> and so Paul goes, I gotta address this, because what's happening, whether they mean to or not, they're adding a yoke of legalism, of rule following, that is eating away at the sufficiency of Christ. Can't let that happen. I told you about the border town, Galatia. So Judaizers that like bring in too much Jewish law into Christianity, that's all that means. So Judaizers were prominent in Galatia. Maybe that's why they were having a problem in Colossians, or in Colossae, I don't know. But in Galatians chapter one, Paul directly addresses this like problem that was having, that, that, that Gentiles were having, adding too much Judaism almost, okay? So Galatians chapter one, you guys still with me? Lean in, lean in, more scripture. Galatians one, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, okay? What he's saying there is, you're starting to believe things at, that are additions to the gospel. There are no additions. The gospel's the gospel, okay? Okay. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul has no chill in that moment. Just curse him. 
As we have said before, so now I say again, and he doesn't stop. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul says, if I show back up to Galatia and preach something different than I've already preached, I got it wrong the second time, curse me. That's the deal. If an archangel shows up playing the harp with a gold shiny crown and starts preaching a gospel other than the gospel you have already heard, curse the angel. They're lying to you. Okay, I need you to understand the gospel of Christ will never change. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it. It is the gospel. And if you change it by 1%, you ruin the whole batch. The gospel has to stay protected and pure within your hearts. Okay, he does this more in in Colossians chapter two, verses six through 15. This is the last huge scripture I'm gonna read. One more time, y'all, let's do it. Therefore, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority, Almost done, halfway. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, spiritual stuff here, by putting off the body of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, it's a weird metaphor, isn't it? God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul is saying, the work of Christ, the work of the gospel that I preach to you, when Christ said in his dying breath, it is finished, He meant that. It is actually finished. When you come alive in Christ, it is done. Past, present, future sin, it is done. And any gospel that tries to reduce Christian living to your performance, to your earning of the presence of God, to your earning of the affection of the Lord, it is not the gospel. Curse that gospel. Even if you're preaching it to yourself, curse the message that says you earn the love of God, that says the death and resurrection and life of Christ is not sufficient. Paul is going, what an insult to God incarnate, giving his life for the world. That was sufficient. Christ's love for you, his presence for you is sufficient. Some of you, your biggest moral failures lie ahead of you. And in that moment, Satan will tell you it is not sufficient and Christ will teach you more than you've ever known it before and more than you could ever know it through a Bible study. His grace is sufficient. Holler if you hear me. Anyone sinned super hard and then found out there was still grace left for you? Anyone found a way to keep hitting your head on the same sin? You're supposed to be sanctified a decade ago and still God's grace met you there? Some of you this whole year, all God is going to want to teach you is the most aggravating aggravating lesson to you type A people. I love you when you can't do it. 
All right, hold on one second. I got to go do it. I love you. God is not a set of rules. God's love for you is not weighted on your ability to do it the right way. Some of you, your biggest revelation of 2023 is going to be God wants a relationship with you. Actually, ebb and flow, talk, I love you. I love you too. Aw, you know? Like, you need that. I thought I knew this, and I rolled my eyes at every Instagram pastor that kept talking about the love of God, and I was like, will you get into some theology? You're getting on my nerves, TikTok, you know? And then he used 2022 to teach me how much God loves me. And I'm just like, I love this. You're right. I needed to hear this. God, I need to know that your love for me is not weighing on how well I lead this church. Do you know how depressing that would be? Gosh. God, I needed to know that your love for me was not dependent on how often I didn't smart off to my wife. Thank God, because I need grace. His death, his resurrection is sufficient. And any message that takes away your adds to that message, let it be accursed. His life is sufficient, child of God. So, polytheism, we don't like it. Adding too many unnecessary rules, we don't like it. We need someone to come and go, hey, there's a better way. This comes in chapter three, where Paul's gonna give us some vision, and we're gonna spend the next three weeks, this week included on this chapter right here. And I'm gonna read verses one through four. If then, child of God, you've been raised with Christ, here's how you begin to shape your perspective. Here's how you begin to let Christ mold your understanding of what it looks like to follow him. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, I loved that phrase, When Christ, who is your life, not a part of your life, not fitting in with multiple hobbies you got going for you, multiple pursuits. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul is saying, if you belong to Christ, there's this way of living and thinking and existing that is completely taken by and transformed and surrendered to in other epic phrases to Jesus Christ. It all belongs to Christ. The way you think, the way you see people, the way you move, the way you choose vocation, the way you choose your friends, the way you choose how you spend your time, all of it gets touched by the hands of Jesus. And the more that you get to know God in relationship, the more you're like, God, touch everything in my life. You can put your hands on every component of my life. The good shepherd always leads me in green pastures, always leads me by still waters, is always in the valley and always on the mountain. God, have access to every part of my life. God, teach me how to set my mind 
on things that are above, not on the earth. And teach me how to walk that balance because I got bills to pay. So I'm going to like, you know, have a job. But like, Jesus, first and foremost, set my mind. I had two things kind of stirring me. And then we're going to go to communion and then we'll, we'll go on. But as I was thinking about this, one phrase, I was praying just, just for me and about my walk with God in 2023. And, and you know, I don't know if you ever had a year like this, but 2022 was the year that I was like, yeah, I about hit it. That's my capacity right there. Found it. Probably can't do much more than I'm doing now, you know? And it stinks because more is required of me. So God, you gotta, I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? You ever come to a spot in your, in your life where you're like, okay, everything I know to do, I'm doing, and it's not enough, which is not good. That's how I felt. And I felt like God was going, hey, even in your like imagination, the best version of you, I, I, have some, I have more than that. Like the best version of your walk with me, the best version in your head of freedom in Christ, dude, that's not even like, no. Let me teach you what freedom in Christ is. I'm going to take you beyond the best version of yourself. And I don't mean like health and wealth stuff. Like I'm going to give you a better job and more money and a nicer car than you ever thought possible. But that wouldn't be, you know, whatever. Um, but no, in my walk with God, what I realized is I got, a, I got a bad view of myself. Like I really underestimate Christ when I think about myself. And I'm just praying, God, will you raise the ceiling that I'm putting on myself in my walk with you? Like, God, I want more freedom than I'm even imagining. I want more compassion than I'm even imagining. I want more patience, more peace, more evangelism, more service, more submission, more like thinking about others instead of thinking about myself and still having complete peace internally. Like, God, I want more. Take the roof off. Don't just raise the ceiling. Remove the ceiling. Some of you need to just sit with God and go, hey, will you help me to stop assuming I know the best version of myself possible? You take me wherever you want to take me. And just confess, there's more for me than I have for me. You've got more. Raise the ceiling on my faith. There is more to your walk with God. Does that make, are y'all with me? Okay, good. Hey, you just pray that. All right. Uh, second thing, another prayer for the church <laughs> is that we grow in our love, our trust, and our knowledge of the word of God. This is a lamp unto your feet. That's what it is. It's super weird. Some books are very confusing and violent and weird. Some books are amazing and beautiful and eloquent. Lots happening. 66 books of them. This is the word of God. I'm only 32 and I'm going to talk like I'm like super, super old. But anyway, I'm old enough to know this thing is tried and true. It is steadfast. It has something for you when it's confusing and confounding. It has something for you when it feels very rewarding and clear. Church, it is so crucial in 2023, in a land of a thousand truths, that we understand, know, and grow in the truth. There is one truth. If Paul was here right now, well, I don't know what he'd say, something better than what I'm going to say about him. But if he was here, I feel he'd be so frustrated how watered down truth has become in a culture that is going water this down. It's fine, but like chill. 
Like, love it, but not that. I love John, but not 1 Corinthians. I like 1 Corinthians 1, but not 1 Corinthians 6. Because 1 Corinthians 6 is on, like, Christians don't do this, 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 and this. And we don't, eh, you know? John 3, 16, we're cool. No, this is the word of God. And I'm realizing, I'm not gonna tangent too long. We gotta, I'll be done soon. In this seeker-friendly culture, one of the downfalls of this culture is perhaps we've watered down how poignant the truth of the scripture is. Every word of it, not just the words that make sense to us anyway. So one of my prayers is that we grow in our love of scripture. Our trust beyond our own comprehension, easier said than done, of scripture. I'm hoping God will just teach us all that. And I pray that you pray that for your own life. Lord, help me to love this word. Even when I'm bored of this word, even when I'm tired of the word, will you help me just to stick with it? Open your heart to it. All right. So for the next two weeks, we're going to finish out Colossians chapter three. The next two weeks are going to be marked by these two words, surrender and dream. It's going to be fun. Um, For now, let's take communion. There's communion on uh, the inside chair of every other chair. Um, You can take one, pass it down. There you go. Um, We'll only do this for like four or five minutes. Um, Here's just kind of a a basic overview of why we do communion and and your invitation to take communion. If you're wondering what you could pray about, I mean, literally just, God, here's what's stirring in my heart. Here's something Josh said that confused me or frustrated me. Why is that? Or it really encouraged me. Why is that? And, And just wrestle with the Lord for four minutes. And if there's something you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to pray about, you can write it down. If you want to walk outside and just like seek the Lord, do whatever it looks like to follow up this sermon with some real dialogue with God. God, what are you speaking to me? Is there anything you want me to process right now about your supremacy, about your sufficiency, about something that had nothing to do with the sermon? I just invite you to listen to the Lord and uh, I'll come back up in like four minutes and, and pray over us and we'll conclude with worship.